Have you ever heard of emotional orphanage? Welcome to the call. My guest, Craig D'Alessio, joins the call and shares his journey from neglected and unwanted as a child to becoming a child of God. You will hear his story of overcoming an emotional orphanage and given a new beginning in Christ. Please be sure to stay to the end for a word of encouragement. Craig, welcome to the call. Nancy, thanks for having me. You know, you wrote the book, An Orphan in the House of God, a true account of your journey to experiencing what it is to be a child of God. You know, what does it feel like to be an emotional orphan? So my mom and dad never married. I was born in Philadelphia. My, my mother and father didn't marry. My dad was a uh, college athlete and was grew up in a, a poor immigrant family. He was one of 14 kids. He was the first one to go to college. He got a college scholarship. And uh, they met when he was home for Christmas break. And um, my mom got pregnant and she thought that that would, you know, she wanted him to marry her. She wanted to be part of that family, a big, loving Italian family. And uh, it didn't work. And along the process of writing this book, uh, it started. The, the process of writing it started because I wanted I knew there were problems in my heart. I wanted to know what was going on. And I started praying and asking God and really seeking him every day. Show me what happened when I was a kid. And one of the things God said to me, I, I said one time in prayer, like, God, why does it feel like my mom resents me and has my whole life? And I heard God's voice, you know, internally, not the external you know, uh, thing, but uh, because she does, she resents you. You, you. you didn't do what she had planned you to do. She thought that Bob would marry her if she got pregnant, so she got pregnant. And then, of course, she has a son, and here's this nice Italian boy from a strong Catholic family. Of course, he's going to marry her now. He's got, a, you know, he's got a son in the world, and that didn't happen. And he ended up going to Vietnam. My mom ended up marrying her husband, my stepfather, when I was four. And, of course, Tom didn't. You know, he didn't really want kids at all, but he, I came with the package. He was really just wanting to marry my mom. There was no bond between us at all, no connection. She couldn't have married anybody more different than me. Uh, I, I'm, I love sports. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have a funny sense of humor. I'm always cracking jokes. Tom hates sports. Um, hated, really had no sense of humor and didn't like people with a sense of humor. I, I like it wasn't just we were different. We were diametrically opposed. We couldn't have been more opposite. And then when you throw in the fact that there was no natural bond between us as father and son, um, and the fact that I was a walking, talking reminder that some other man had been with his wife, and I didn't know any of this. I wasn't told the truth about my dad. I was told that Tom was my father. And the four-year gap was explained because he sailed on tankers and was at sea a lot and they just my mom just told me i just didn't remember him because he was at sea well it wasn't the case the, the truth was he didn't even come into my life till i was four but my mom carried this resentment uh all through my life and then as she had children her and tom had had three children i have three uh, two half brothers and a half sister on that side and a half sister and brother on my dad's side um here i am a, a constant reminder of a man that she was deeply in love with and i think I don't know that her heart ever healed over that. Um, and she's in a marriage and trying to, you know, move on with life as best she can. But I'm a constant reminder of my dad. And that, in fairness to her, that probably hurt. Um, I didn't know it. I, I had no idea. So I'm just being me and thinking, what? 
you know, why, what is, why is there a noticeable difference between the way they react towards my brothers and sister and me? Why does like, they never celebrated my birthday? Um, the other kids had godparents and I didn't have any. And that, it sounds petty. I'm, you know, I'm 59, but when you're 10, your little sister just got dedicated in church and she's got godparents. And, and I asked my mom, like, who are my godparents? Well, you don't have any. Why not? Why, you know, and my birthday just always came and went. And my brother and sister had big wingdings in the summer. And my birthday was the first week of school. And so my mom always said that was why we never celebrated because it was just a busy time. But, you know, I mean, that, I guess I accepted that when I was nine, but I'm a dad. I mean, my daughter's 24 now, but, you know, I, it's not like I ever ignored her birthday because it was the first week of May. It was, she was still in school then. It, it, I, I understood all this after I wrote the book. Like, you know, you weren't a good thing. You weren't wanted. You weren't anticipated. And so your birthday really didn't mean anything to her. And it was painful to figure out, but it did explain everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there, there's a big portion of your book that you go through, you know, your childhood experience, you know, things that were happening to you, um, and including your grandmother, who was giving you a wonderful foundation in Jesus. So talk about that a little bit. My grandmother was the only real, when you think of parental unconditional love, it was, thank goodness, it was God's will that I had the grandmother that I had. I had that reference point. And she knew the truth about my dad and was sworn to secrecy. My mom wouldn't let her tell me. Um, I, and I, she basically told her that if you ever tell him the truth about his father, you'll never see him again. So my mom, my grandmother kept her mouth shut and I would visit her a lot. I, summers I'd go up and spend weeks with them. And, and I would, that was where I poured my heart out. I would tell her about the things that were happening at home. My grandmother would cry. And all she ever said was someday you'll understand. Hmm. I always wonder what that meant. And then I found out the truth when I was 21 about my dad and who he really was. And, and, uh, and I talked to my grandmother about it and she said, yeah, that's what I meant. I, I knew the truth, but she was, um, she was God's voice in my heart, uh, from the day I came home from the hospital. Uh, she was the one that, that spoke Bible verses over me and, and, and there was always a Bible there she was reading and I could, I heard her pray audibly and, and she sang, you know, little Sunday school songs. And so she was God in this world of people that really didn't want me, uh, and swore, you know, stuck with me, air quoting there. Um, my grandmother was the one that was through the love she showed me was God saying, no, I, I you're part of my plan. And, and regardless of what your, your physical parents think of you, um, I've wanted you from day one. And it was through my grandmother's presence in my life. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parents and grandparents out there that don't realize that they're giving a wonderful foundation to a child. Um, by pouring in Bible verses into their lives. So if you're hearing this right now, you can see that this man loves God and um, the, and his grandmother, you know, she put a foundation in his heart. Now, all this is happening. Did you ever find your real father? Uh, I was home from Christmas break in 1984, home from college. And uh, I got my mom and dad, my mom and stepdad, a, a anniversary card their anniversary is december 10th and i didn't know if it was so i was 21 i didn't know if it was their 22nd anniversary or the 23rd because naturally i'm thinking i'm 21 
you know, they weren't married, but they didn't have me before they got married. It's got to be at least their 22nd anniversary. So I didn't know which one it was. So I didn't get the card that says, Hey, happy 22nd or happy. So I didn't know what to write inside. So my, I, it was early after it was probably about five o'clock. And I, I, we had this sort of split level house. I went downstairs to the den. My mom was down there. I said, I gave her the card. I said, Hey, I, I don't know which, is it your 22nd or your 23rd anniversary? I don't know which one it is. And as she opened it up and saw that I didn't write any year in there and she starts crying. I'm like, that wasn't that tough of a question. And she said, it's our 17th. And I'm, you know, doesn't take, it's not, you have to be a rocket scientist to do that math in your head. I, I'm 21. I'm what do you mean? So she begins to tell me about my father. She says, Tom's not your dad. Uh, your real dad's name's Bob. So Tom had adopted me at five years old. So at that point I had his last name, not Delicio. Uh, Delicio was my last name until I was five. That's the name it was on my birth certificate when I came home from the hospital and everything. Um, Tom adopted me to keep my father out of the picture. It wasn't because he, well, I sure loved this kid. It was, you know, he didn't want Tom, he didn't want Bob coming around. So, um, so my mom begins to tell me the story about my father and how she met him and who he was and where he lives. He lived 30 minutes away. He was from this big family, uh, right outside of Philadelphia. And I didn't believe her. I mean, I did, but I didn't instantly. I was, my first thing was I got to go ask my grandmother. She'll tell me the truth. So I get in my car and I drive to my grandmother's house and I walk in and, and, um, she's, we're sitting at the kitchen table and I said, my mom, uh, my mom just told me about my dad. And she starts crying. And I knew right then, all right, it's true. Well, she loved my father. She knew him a little bit. And she had been in love with an Italian boy when she was 17. And people don't realize this. My grandmother was born in 1901. In the teens and 20s of the 19th, of the you know 1900s, Italians were hated. Her mother forbade her from seeing this Italian boy. It was just the worst thing you could do. And it broke her heart. She couldn't, you know, they couldn't see each other anymore. So she always had this thing for my, my dad, because it was, it reminded her of this boy she was in love with. And she wanted to see my mom end up with him and wanted to see him part of my life. Cause she kept it, not kept in touch, but you know, through the grapevine knew that he turned, he'd become a school teacher. He was a good man. He was a great dad uh, to his other kids. Well, she starts crying, tells me the whole story. So now I know it's true. And I tell people that, the very first emotion I felt was relief. I was so relieved to find out that Tom wasn't my dad because it explained, see, I thought he was my father and I chased him my whole life. I'm like, why doesn't my dad love me? Why won't he come to my baseball games? Why won't he throw a ball with me? Why do, why do I never get any compliment from him? Any, nothing except anger. Uh, early on, there was violence. I mean, I, I until I was about 15, I thought one of these days he's going to lose his temper and kill me. Um, because the least little thing would set him off. The, the slide, if he walked in my bedroom and there was clothes on the floor, I, I mean, it, you'd think that I just killed somebody. Um, and and it re, I was relieved. I didn't have to pursue him anymore. But conversely, when you're 21 and you find out that your father's not really your father and this is who you really are, I tell people, it's like you go to work one day, you're just working away on your computer and somebody reaches in and yanks the hard drive out. And they put a different hard drive in. And if you were using a Windows system, well, they just stuck an Apple, you know, a Mac operating system in there. So nothing even works. The files that you thought had information in them, well, I don't know what's in there now. Well, 
you know, if you're lied to about your dad, what else were you lied to about? So I spent six years from age 21 to 27 going through this thing where everything about me, I had to analyze what's true about me, what's not. And I didn't actually reach out to him until I was 27. It took me six years to digest all this and finally make contact. And we had a couple of phone calls here and there, but he really didn't want any relationship. Finally, uh, when I was 43, he we were living in Tennessee. He drove down because I had pretty much forced his hand. Um, and he drove down. We spent three hours uh, at, at breakfast together and just talked. And I thought it was going well. And then he got back home and decided, um, I want nothing to do with you. He kept telling me he wanted to get a DNA test, but he would never show up for it. So to me, that's kind of an admission of guilt. I mean, if there's somebody out there telling me, hey, you're my dad, now I'll be there when the doors open at the lab the next morning. Let's get the test done. Um, he never wanted to get it done. He always protested that he wanted one, but he wouldn't get it done. So, I, I mean, I, and it's sad because he was a great man. I mean, he, he passed away as I, while I was writing the book this past August. But my dad ended up getting a PhD. Uh, he did two tours in Vietnam. He was he, he received three Purple Hearts. Um, he was a wonderful dad to his two children that he had through his marriage. Uh, devoted to his wife for 53 years. Uh, was a school teacher, a beloved school teacher. I mean, you know, kids named their sons after him that he you know he taught in eighth grade or whatever. Um, and it, it would have been easier if he'd been a Hell's Angel. You know, or some some ne'er do well that just never did a good thing in his life. I could go, oh, that's why he rejected me. He's just kind of a dirtbag, but he wasn't. He was just a great man. And I internalized this like, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. He's, I mean, nothing wrong with him. He's a hero, so maybe it's me. And it just fed that orphaned rejection that I carried for so long. Mm -hmm. And I started writing the book and recounting all these things that had happened. And one day. Uh, I was praying, I get up very early in the morning and I was sitting on my couch and I was praying like, God, I've written half this book and it's been so dark and so painful. You got to show me something. I have no archetype to look at and go, this is what it is to be a child of God. This must be what it's like. And God wants us to have that image because all through scripture, he talks to you me, know, Jesus gave the example of, you know, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And unless you become like one of these little ones. You really will never understand the kingdom of heaven. And that was foreign to me. I never got a chance to be an innocent child. Couldn't just walk in the house and know my parents love me. So I was praying one day. I was like, God, what does it look like? I know I don't have an example in my life. So show me something. And God took me back to a moment. My daughter was four years old and we were at my house. It was my weekend with her. And she comes running into the room I was in, jumps up in my lap and says, Daddy, can I have a Barbie Jeep? And I said to her, I said, well, you know, I can't go get one today, but it, I think it was like October. I said, why don't we put it on your Christmas list and we'll see if daddy doesn't get it, then Santa will. And she said, okay. And she gave me a hug and she went back and watched whatever she was watching. God reminded me of that in vivid detail. Like I almost felt her jump into my arms and he said, this is what it's like. And I analyzed it. I thought, see, my daughter knew my dad loves me. All I have to do is ask. And if he says, no, I know it's because it's not the best thing for me. And otherwise he'll say yes, unless it's bad for me, he'll say yes. If he can't afford it, he'll tell me that if it's not now, but soon, then he means that. So when I said to her, well, let's not get it today, but let's put it on your Christmas list. 
she was fine with that. She didn't pout. She didn't stomp her feet. She knew daddy always keeps his word. If he tells me not today, but soon, then it's not today, but soon. And she may get a little antsy like kids will do, but she didn't throw a fit because she knew I meant, meant what I said. And the joy that I felt that day, you know, planning, getting her a Barbie Jeep and all that. I started seeing, see, this is what it's like. God wants me to run into his arms. When Paul said, come boldly to the throne of grace, that's what it looks like. It's a child running in going, I already know the answer is yes, unless it's bad for me. I'm trusting that wisdom part of him, but the answer is going to be yes. Um, it might not be right now, and it might be in a different form, but God's not going to be mad at me for coming in. He wants me to come in there. And then it was not just the asking. It was just, I remember as I was visualizing this, I remembered the joy it brought me that my daughter would come to me and ask because I'm her dad. And it clicked. I finally saw it. Like, this is what it's like. This is how my father views me. He anticipated my birth. He knew that regardless of what my mother or or my biological father or my stepfather thought of me or planned for me, God had a plan for me. I was no accident. Um, the Bible says, you know, in, Hebrew, in, in uh, Isaiah 49, see, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. You are tattooed in God's hands. From the day he put stars in the sky, we were on his mind. I tell that story in the book. If people want to get this book, uh, Craig, where can they go and get this? Amazon.com. Uh, the book is called An Orphan in the House of God. Amazon.com. You can also go to CD Bookstore. That's my initials, CD Bookstore. That's my that's my website, uh, cdbookstore.com. Um, there's some videos, some biography stuff there, and there's links to the books I've written and this one in particular. Uh, always open to come and talk about the book. Like the churches want to have me, I'm I'm always open for that. And uh, uh, I, I'm really praying it. Everybody that's read it so far has been, even people that had a good, solid relationship with the Lord, have just it's it's expanded that. So it's been a blessing to write it. And so, what would you like to leave my audience with today? You have no idea how much God loves you. Um, the depth of His love for us is. Uh, take what you feel for your children and multiply that times infinity. Uh, that's the only real example we have of it. And it's such a minor, it's a sliver. But if we learn to live and pray in that, um, and it's not a free pass. It's not, well, God loves me so I can do whatever I want. See, I feel like God loves me, so I, want, I treasure that. I want to please him. I want to live right. I want to have, you know, uh, what Paul calls circumspect living. It's not a, it's not a, a license to sin. It's a, it's a, it's the obligation to, to do well, to be a good son, to live up to the family name. Thank you for watching the call. We hope you learned more about Jesus through this video. You know, Jesus says in John 14, 18 through 20, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus dies on the cross so that you can have the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Jesus said he will not leave you and that's a promise of God. Do you listen to the call of God? Because God speaks to you every day. Are you listening to the call?